You are listening to the Deepening Your Practice podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at metagroup.org. That's www.metagroup.org. So we've been going slowly through the Manual of Insight, the new translation of the Mahasi Sedo text, and uh, we've reached the Contemplation of Mental Objects section, uh, and the first is the Five Hindrances. The desire for enjoyment of sensual pleasures is called the hindrance of sensual desire. It also includes desire for attainment of jhana or for realization of path, fruition, and nirvana. In chapter 2 I explained why the desire for spiritual attainment can become sensual desire. When sensual desire arises, arises, note it as it is. There being sensual desire in him, a bhikkhu understands there is sensual desire in me. Anger, frustration, hatred, cruelty, and hostility are included in what is called the hindrance of aversion. One should be aware of these as they truly are the moment they occur. The hindrance caused by the sluggishness, dullness, and lack of energy of the mind and mental factors is called the hindrance of sloth and torpor. Be aware of these as they truly are the moment they occur. Mental restlessness is called restlessness. Note it as it is the moment it occurs. Regret and remorse are called regret. Note it um, as it is the moment it occurs. Uh, this is the way to note according to the Pali passage. There being ill will in him, there being sloth and torpor in him, there being restlessness and remorse in him, Habiku understands this is ill will, this is sloth and torpor, this is restlessness and re- remorse in me. Skeptical doubt about the Buddha's uh, omnipotence, um, the attainments of path, fruition, and nirvana, the enlightenment of disciples, or about the fact that there is no person or being only, but only the law of cause and effect, or doubts about whether one is practicing the correct method, whether the practice will lead to path, fruition, and nirvana, whether one's teacher's instructions are correct, or whether anyone has ever become enlightened using this method is called doubt. When you experience such doubt, note it uh, as it is in the moment it takes place according to the following passage, there being doubt in him. Habiku understands there is doubt in me. So that's a pretty straightforward uh, teaching. Um, Everybody's pretty familiar with uh, the, there's always word that I noticed in my own uh, um, participation in meditation communities, a lot of uh, uh, conversation around the five hindrances. So, um, is that also familiar to you? Um, I like to put into context the nature of the five hindrances in terms of how it unfolds. Um, and I think that really what we're trying to attempt in our practice, or what this idea about uh, liberation is, is this shift from identification with consciousness or the conscious experience into awareness itself. 
So in some sense, if we were to just uh, describe this, we would be saying, do you know what the experience of pure awareness is? Do you know how to separate the experience of pure awareness from the experience of consciousness? Do you know the process in which consciousness forms, which awareness knows? Those would be ways to investigate this. You have the capacity to sense, so the six senses. Can you uh, understand what the experience of the sensing mind is different from mind or mind states? Do you have a sense of what the sensing experience of each of the five senses is? Uh, in seeing, do you know seeing is both external and internal? In hearing, you know it's both external and internal. In um, tasting uh, and smelling, those tend to be internal experiences. Uh, uh, smelling obviously requires an object, which can be smelled. Taste requires an object, so coming from the outside. Um, a felt sense of the body, all of the operations of the body, plus the experience of emotion. And then <clears throat> those things tend to be pretty tangible and pretty easy to recognize. Anybody have trouble with any of that? But then knowing what the sensing activity of mind is, so you might notice it as the sequencing, uh, where your attention goes is the, the sensing experience of mind, and also that one sensing experience is followed by the next, is followed by the next, is another aspect of mind, and then the association to the database of previously sensed experiences and activity of the sensing experience of mind. <clears throat> then you have uh, Vedna or feeling tone, which is the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality of sensing. And then you have mind, the mind state through which that passes, and then the thing that you make the sensing experience into, which awareness knows. So the, the consciousness of sensing experience is one aspect, and the awareness that knows that is a different. And so we're attempting to make that distinction in, this, in, in practice. In some sense, what we want to do is shift out of these identifications of mind moments of consciousness into awareness. That would be a simple way to describe it. And then to have a volition to, to do that when we wanted to do it. Um, <clears throat> to come and go from awareness into consciousness back and forth effortlessly without getting stuck in one or the other. It's another way to talk about it. That it, it, it isn't that we're desiring to be completely free of the fixation of conscious experience and be solely in awareness, because we wouldn't be able to function as householders in that condition, nor do we want to be stuck in identification with the consciousness of each sensing moment because of the intensity of the suffering that arises from being trapped in identification with the, the sensing experience. In Buddhist um, philosophy or uh, cosmology, the, the order of this thing is somewhat important because the hindrances attach in the process of mind, not in the sensing experience of mind. They come after all of this thing has unfolded. 
So you have the sensing experience, you have the experience of Vedna, the quality of that. And then as we manifest it into something, the, uh, the uh, hindrances attached to the fixation process. You can be equanimous with the sensing experience as it's made into the fixated sense of self and world and not have hindrances there. And in the Karnaka Samadhi or momentary concentration insight practice that uh, Mahasi describes in, the, in this book, that the hindrances can be actively engaged in between moments of sensing as long as in each of the sensing uh, moments, the noting moments, there the mind is free of the hindrances. So in these momentarily highly concentrated awarenesses of each sensing experience, there is perfect equanimity and then when the moment is over you can be gripped by the hindrances. And then in the next moment of noting, free of the hindrance in that noting moment and then when that noting moment is over the hindrances can reapply and then <coughs> In the, um, the, the continuing noting, this sort of after experience of concentration extends and extends until you're actually equanimous with the arising and passing of the sensing experience and the hindrances don't apply. Is that making sense? So, um, Craving is a kind of reaching for something or a desire for the, the conditions of the present moment to be different than they are. And so the antidote really to craving is the allowing of the condition to be the way that it is. Aversion is really the not wanting, so it's a resistance to or an aversion of the conditions of the present moment. And again, so this is an allowing of that. Sloth and torpor is different from a regular tiredness. Often uh, when we're practicing meditation, experiences uh, come up that the body-mind may be uh, used to avoiding or um, prefer to avoid. And so one of the strategies that the mind often uses um, when you come closer to those kinds of experiences is to put you to sleep. So uh, more energy is often useful in that to, to help keep the mind bright so that you have a greater facility to come into uh, equanimity. Restlessness and agitation is often caused by uh, too much tightness. So we're looking at this too uh, relaxed or too maybe relax is the word that's coming to mind. Uh, it's useful to monitor the amount of tension that you're using to hold the body in your meditation posture between this falling asleep and being too restless. Too much energy, too much tightness in the body tends to lead to agitation and too much relaxation, not enough energy tends to lead to sleepiness. Um, we're in human bodies, and the prone position, the leaning back position, tends to be a signal to sleep, and an upright position tends to be the one that indicates that the mind should brighten. It's just the human condition. And so we really do want to pay attention to the posture and monitor this amount of tension that we hold. 
you notice that the mind is restless, you can ease the attention in the body and in the posture to bring the mind down. If you notice that the mind is sleepy, you can intensify the holding of the posture and straighten the spine to brighten the mind. It's most of the time in the teachings that I've had, the combination has been restlessness and agitation, and yet in the Mahasi text it's restlessness and regret, um, which is a different translation. Uh, regret is a, an interesting experience. Um, I notice it and uh, mostly in um, the the longing for a different outcome from actions that have not been taken, which is different, say, than remorse, which would be for actions that have been taken. Um, so depending on what your conditioning is, there may have been opportunities or, or moments when you wanted to act and you didn't because of some inhibition that arose. And so the mind can get quite caught up on the the spin of if only or what if. What if I'd done that and not this? What if I'd made that choice and not this choice? Uh, doubt, on the other hand, is about the path. Um, do you notice that the mind is ever engaged in doubting that the practice will get you to where you want to go. Um, and uh, I think that for me, when I first came uh, to practice, the idea of what I thought I could get out of practice was so wildly off from what you can get out of practice that there was a constant sense of disappointment that I wasn't getting what I wanted out of the practice. The more I studied, of course, I realized that the problem was not that the practice wasn't working. Uh, it was that what I wanted to get out of the practice, the practice didn't offer. So this is then this understanding of what actually the practice does offer different uh, than what you might have wanted. I thought when I originally came that enlightenment meant that I would have no more worldly problems. <laughs> we should all walk out of here. <laughs> there you go. Fuck you! <laughs> hey, do you want 20 bucks for that? <laughs> Infinitely more than that. <laughs> I haven't noticed. Um, that that's changed much at all in terms of the difficulties of navigating a, a householder's life. Um, but it is, it's been made so much easier by the practice in terms of, of certain things that needed to change in order for life to become uh, tolerable in a way that it wasn't before. Mainly what it is, is the capacity to be with the experience as it is and not the way that I wish it would be. Um, and to have my actions embedded in the experience of how things are and not coming from this place of how I wish it was. Um, the, 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 the actions coming from that place of how I wish it was never seem to really produce 
a useful outcome, whereas the actions taken from a, a really a, the, the basis of how it is are much more effective in terms of, of addressing um, the actual conditions of life and being more effective in changing them in a way that, that are actually uh, um, pretty good, pretty fine with uh, meaning the way that they are. Um, not, uh, of course, dismissing the consequences of all of the, the actions that I've already taken and also the consequences of the conditioning of my childhood experience, which was not that good. Um, and I think uh, um, often we would wish that there, the limitations that are imposed by that aren't actually the limitations that are imposed by that. That, that somehow we would magically be able to be free of them or that the, the karma that uh, collects from, from that wouldn't be the karma that collects from that. But um, when you can come into a place of uh, allowing uh, what actually is to be the basis of your decision-making, the decisions that you make are much more effective in terms of what you can have now. Is that making sense? The things that are already lost are already lost, and pretending that they aren't lost uh, actually is a, a root of a lot of suffering. Um, in some sense, what we do is we, we don't accept that the things that are already lost are already lost, and so we engage in activities uh, in order to prevent them from being lost or to restore them. And in doing that, miss the opportunities that are available to us now. And so we compound this suffering. We don't restore what is already lost and we don't take what's available now. And so we're in this constant uh, flow of perpetuating uh, these original losses that are unrestorable. And so moving into this place of deep acceptance about what is already lost, we can let go of that. This is that craving piece, not not uh, wanting something different than what is, or the aversion aspect of not really allowing an awareness of what is. And then, uh, all of that real estate that was being held for the thing that's already lost is freed up, and we can then take in the stuff of the present moment that's available to us, if that makes sense in clearing the view and seeing clearly how things are, we can then operate in the world the way that it is. So, I want to talk a little bit about wise attention and unwise attention. Any awareness that arouses wholesomeness should be regarded as wise attention or right attitude. Here I will elaborate on wise attention as it relates specifically to insight meditation. In the case of insight meditation, wise attention consists of noting or observing mental and physical phenomena the moment that they take place in terms of their specific and general characteristics. When, one empirical, when one's empirical knowledge of mental and physical phenomena matures, one will then inferentially realize the nature of phenomena that one has never experienced by comparing them with those one has. 
This is also wise attention. Therefore, wise attention is attention that leads the attainment of higher insight knowledges and path knowledge and fruition knowledge, as the commentaries say. Wise attention is the method and the way of attention. Wise attention is seeing what is impermanent as impermanent, seeing what is unsatisfactory as unsatisfactory, seeing what is not self as not self, seeing what is unappealing as unappealing. So when we practice meditation, what we're really looking at is paying attention to the sensing experience, but investigating these three characteristics in each sensing experience. What I think um, is important to do is to uh, authentically pursue these investigations. Um, it, it's one thing to say, yes, I recognize intellectually that there is no self, that when I, when I look at this, the, the sensing experience in meditation, I don't find a solid, continuous, ongoing, intrinsic quality that I could call self. It is another thing to authentically investigate this and not find it. Does that distinction make sense? In one sense, there could be doubt if we haven't done an exhaustive investigation Whereas there tends not to be doubt if we've actually done an exhaustive investigation to see directly that there is no experience of self that we can find. The same is true of impermanence. Have you done an authentic, uh, tireless investigation looking for some experience which is permanent, that is unchanging? I think that if you do that, and you exhaust yourself in attempting to do that, what you will find is that there isn't. And in that knowledge that there isn't through this exhaustive search, you eradicate doubt. <clears throat> the same is true of the unsatisfactory nature of it. Um, it has been a week of, uh, well, maybe a couple of weeks of of people dying. Uh, it's Without that constant contact with people dying, it's easy to believe that that never happens. Uh, but this week there was an, a, a, a death um, that was either uh, probably an opioid AIDS death, strange, strangely. Um, in, of a man who was in his late thirties, so young. Um, it's a haunting quality, and it's so easy for the mind to just slip it out, right? Um, particularly when you're younger, because there's a kind of rebound that the body is capable of doing that when you get older it isn't able to do anymore. and, and so. Uh, it's easy to think that uh, the, the kind of uh, uh, risk that uh, younger people have a tendency to take more often than older people is, is something that you'll always be able to bounce back from. So the investigation into the unsatisfactory nature is um, this investigation around aging. Um, this investigation around getting what you want. Have you ever gotten something that you wanted that you have not lost? 
of this tireless, authentic investigation, which ultimately relieves the doubt about the understanding of the, the human condition. And so you move from this place of many small delusions around the nature of what it is to be human into this really uh, understanding of how it is to be human. Um, and then uh, and that puts you at this fork in the road. In one direction is nihilism, nothing lasts, nothing is permanent, you can't count any, there's no self actually, so nothing really matters, nothing has meaning. And in the other direction is this engagement in, in being alive, this engagement in the pursuit of things that are actually meaningful to you, not to anyone else, just to you. How much of your life do you spend in the pursuit of things that are meaningful to you without regard to how they are meaningful to other people or what social value they give you in, in pursuing them? And who do you have that you can share these meaningful explorations with in this, this connection, this contact with people? I know one of the things that I was looking for when I came to meditation was never actually meeting anyone ever again. I wanted to be a complete island, impervious to that aspect of the human condition. But actually, we live in social groups. We're herd animals. Uh, the human condition is, is of being in relationship to humans and also to the, this, this life on the planet that we have. And we see so strongly this disconnect between understanding that we exist in this complex system of life and that when you think that you don't live in it, then you don't regard the environment and, and you see the kind of destruction that, that we are now facing because of that. Um, I was talking to somebody today and in the UK, if you have a house cat, you're not allowed to let them out because the bird populations have been decimated by domestic cats and so their answer was, to make it mandatory that you keep your cat inside. Um, I liked that as an approach. In this country, the bird populations are 4% of what they were 50 years ago. Do you have a sense of that? The magnitude of the loss of habitat and wildlife. There are 80 million, 80 to 90 million uh, they've changed the term feral cat to free-roaming cats. <laughs> Apparently feral is a derogatory term. <laughs> um, how do we manage these things? We as a, a group, right? A group. Unwise attention is not the method, is not the way of attention. Unwise attention is seeing what is impermanent as permanent, permanent seeing what is unsatisfactory as satisfactory, seeing what is not self as self, 
and seeing what is unappealing, that's appealing. Um, so I actually urge you in your practice, I think this is so um, um, useful uh, to undertake, say, an exhaustive search for locating the self, an exhaustive search for identifying a sensory experience that is permanent and lasting, to uh, an exhaustive, authentic search for what is uh, permanently satisfying. Um, the first bite of cake, so delicious. The second bite, so delicious. By the time you've eaten the whole cake, maybe not so <laughs> delicious. What would be permanently satisfying? Could you find something? Um, there's a story that, that uh, is told about the Buddha of uh, uh, a woman whose baby died and she, she heard that the Buddha could restore life, that he had these uh, amazing powers. And so she brought the, the dead baby to the Buddha and said, I hear that you have these amazing powers, these 50 powers. One of the things that said about, is said about the Buddha is that he had 50 powers that only Buddhists have. And that uh, she pleaded with him to restore her uh, baby to life. And the Buddha said that he would be willing to restore the baby to life if she would bring him uh, one mustard seed from a family uh, where there had never been a death. And so she went about the countryside in an exhaustive search to find a family where no one had ever died and she was in, unable to find one. And in that uh, exploration, driven by the mother's desire for her uh, child to be reborn, um, found that no one was without the grief of dying. So that's uh, a description of the the intensity of the investigation that's necessary in a way to relieve the experience of doubt that might come up in, in practice. Is that making sense? Um, mm -hmm. So I'm trying to follow what you're saying. Um, do an exhaustive search for uh, what it means to be the self. Yes. Can you find an intrinsic, ongoing, unchanging experience of self? Well, um, I don't know what that exploration would look like. Could you? So, if we were to use a see-her-feel technique, in the moment, uh, in the seeing moment, is there an intrinsic experience of self? seeing. As the attention moves into the body, is there in the body a, uh, an, a, an intrinsic, ongoing experience of self? Can you locate it anywhere in the body-mind? What might happen is that you discover awareness as this idea of what the self is, often we move into this place where awareness is the thing that we think is the experience of self. 
And we move between awareness and consciousness in this back and forth. The experience of self arises strongly, we move from awareness into the experience of self, and then as the experience of self begins to pass away, we jump back into awareness as a kind of bridge between these individual selfing experiences, and that creates this perception of something continuous. But if you begin to see in consciousness the selfing experience arising and pay attention to it, you'll also notice that it passes away. But even awareness is not continuous and unchanging. Every night when you go to sleep, isn't there a loss of awareness as you enter into deep sleep? You may have awareness of dreaming. <clears throat> you may have an awareness, uh, sort of a twilight experience of being in the bed or where, wherever you are. But that also will, um, for certain periods of time in the night, be absent. Is that what your experience is? Well, when you're in awareness, you're not necessarily experiencing the self. Correct. So, I've had experiences where I've, in seeing, I see. Right. Um, and that can, is, and that's a sense of, I'm in an aware, I'm in awareness when I see. Correct? Right, awareness of seeing. So awareness knows the consciousness of seeing. Exactly. So you have the, the capacity to see and you have the object of light and when they make contact, a consciousness of that uh, sensing experience arises, which awareness knows. So you have the sensing, you have the quality of the sensing experience and as it enters the mind you have uh, equanimity or the or any of the other mind states that attach to it, but then you also have perception, which is all of the conditioned response to that pattern of experience attaching and then fixating that moment of seeing consciousness into something solid, which awareness is knowing. And then when the, the light is no longer touching the receptors, that moment of consciousness ends, which awareness will also know which is the arising and passing. But there's nothing intrinsic or ongoing or lasting in the experience of that moment of consciousness. <coughs> that would be the understanding of impermanence. But what I really want to get across is that you don't take this for an intellectual understanding only. That you really practice diligently looking earnestly for these things. Even if you have the intellectual understanding that this is true, we want you to have the direct experience that this is true. Can you find it? And in the not finding comes these, these deep insights, not in, the, in the, the understanding that you probably won't find it. Does that make sense? Um, so, we can do a practice of noting hindrances and noting equanimity. 
And then we can add to that an investigation of one of the three characteristics of an overlay. Um, are you feeling ambitious tonight? Um, one of the things that I notice about practice is if you do a, 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 a you can do a very simple technique or you can do a more um, complex technique. For me, the more complex techniques are easy to concentrate on and easier to lose the sense of self in. Um, but some people find them uh, too uh, complex. What do you think? So we'll begin with a, a basic see-hear-feel technique and then um, we'll add a, a second noting to that, which is for Vedna, the feeling tone aspect. And then we'll add a third note, which is uh, the craving, aversion, unconsciousness uh, aspect. And then we'll add a fourth noting, uh, which could be uh, and in the investigation of self, the investigation of impermanence, or the investigation of unsatisfactoriness, whichever one is appealing to you in the moment. Is that making sense? Anybody find the self? Not a trick question. He kept moving. <clears throat> I run fast. <laughs> Any comments or questions on that little piece of practice we did? So if like an investigation into impermanence um, is movement considered gone? Can you say a little more? Um, in terms of, of like somatic sensation, so like oftentimes uh, where my attention goes to sensation, and then uh, I feel like I can stick with it pretty long, but it, it's not going to stay in one place. So it can kind of just feel like it the energy moves. The energy moves. Yeah. yeah. Is that different than sensation? Um, well, it's. It, no, you experience it sensorially, but um, <clears throat> um, so the the energy in one location moves to another, so there would be a gone and it's le having left the one place, and then it would be an arising in a new place. It's hard to even like isolate it to one thing because it's already static in itself. So then, if you're like tracking movement, then it never really feels like it's actually ever. In Right. In something like that, you probably would want to give up labeling gone because it, there's too many. Okay. So that it slows you down too much to actually label. So you'd just be directly noting. Okay. With the gone, with noting gone, that technique, you tend to, it tends to be sort of this uh, laconic gone gone, gone, and then at certain times it speeds up, so it's so rapid that it's almost a continuous experience. Yeah. <clears throat>
something else. One of the reasons in the division of see, hear, and feel that you don't tend to have an experience of self in just one of them is because the sense of self is made <coughs> of all of them at the same time. So the division of, of them tends to produce a sense. It's only when you would zoom out and hold all the sense gates at the same time that a sense of self can arise. So when you bear down into a small section of sensing, that, that there tends to be an absence of that. And what you may notice, <coughs> if you were doing that, that then you started moving into a stronger sense of PT or the whole physical body dissolving. That tends to be what happens with that meditation. And then that puts you into much more pronounced no-self state where nothing is really fixated. But in, in, in the in a more normal <coughs> or a more conventional uh, awareness that there may seem to be some sense of self there or some sense of watching uh, and so that's a teasing out of the consciousness experience from the awareness experience which is the the watching aspect of the mind but not the experience of self All right, well, thank you for coming. This is deepening your practice.